Welcome to Seers, Beers, Knowers, and Doers, a podcast about intuition. Do you know what that is? Intuition to me is that inner sense or knowing that something is true, and yet I have no proof. But there's so many definitions, and there's so many ways it can come. I'm looking to bring together and share with you some amazing guests who have some amazing life stories and also some insights into how intuition can come. And I'm looking to gather those crows in the trees. I hope you're one of them. I hope that this podcast inspires you to be more connected to your intuition. And I hope that by doing that, we make the world a better place. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. Before we get started today, I would love to share some tools with you to help with stress and feeling overwhelmed, especially for the energetically sensitive person. Feel free to go to my store on my website at www.healingvitality.ca. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with me. My guest today is an international horseman. He's from Australia. He lives in America. He's been on an incredible journey learning from horses. He's here today to share some of his insights with horses, but as I see it, it can be applied to anybody. My guest today is Warwick Schiller. So I'm very excited today to be speaking to Warwick Schiller. I will let Warwick introduce himself. I found him through the internet, through the program Listening to the Horse, and I've been following him probably since October, and now I have the opportunity to actually have him on my podcast. So thank you so much, Work, but I will let you tell us more about yourself. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll do the introductions here. So I was born in Australia, uh, grew up on a 1,200-acre sheep and wheat farm there, rode horses as a kid, uh, came to America in 1990 to learn more about training horses. I wanted to train horses, and I was here for a year. I met my wife in the meantime. Uh, I went back to Australia for six months and the guy I'd worked for had said, you know, if you want to do this for a living, you could do it. I'd give you a job if you came back. And then I had met my wife and was quite uh, infatuated with her. So I, I came back and I've basically been here ever since. Lovely. Isn't it funny how those meetings can change your life, eh? Oh, yeah. Yes. Those serendipitous things that happen. Yes. And you met her through horses? Yep, sure did. There were so many, looking back now, there were so many crazy, serendipitous things that happened along the way that, you know, I originally came to America. I knew one person in America, and I stayed with this person's parents and then got a job through them and then later on met by who's now my wife, but not through them. It wasn't until, oh, we'd known each other a year or so and we're looking through it. We were looking through a photo album, she, and there was a picture of me and the person I first knew in America, the one person. She goes, how do you know her? And I'm like, well, she's how I got over you. She goes, well, she, her father was my 4-H leader. We used to live in the same town, used to go to the same, you know, same horse shows, whatever. Just weird stuff like that. That is awesome. I love those stories. Well, and it's when you pay attention, eh? It's, it's when you just start paying attention, or you look back and you go, wow, that's just the dots that all got lined up. So you work a lot with people online, and at this particular juncture with the COVID-19, we've got a lot of people searching for things online. We talked just right before the call where you were 
you're thinking about working to help more horses and horse owners get connected? Because I love the way you connect with horses. It just speaks to me. So tell us more about that if you could. Uh, well, I have a, I have a big, my main business is I have a big online video subscription library. Um, and I've had that for probably eight or nine years now, maybe eight years. I, I said I've been in, in America mostly since 1990, but in the end of 2006 to the end of 2010, we moved back to my hometown in Australia. And uh, when we moved back here to America, I had to start all over again, all over again. And at the time, I just I said to someone, you know, I'll, some of this stuff with horses is just so simple. I might put some videos on YouTube for no other reason than just to help people out. And um, I don't know if you know or if it's still the same, but at the time when you first put videos on YouTube, you can only put up to 10 minutes because I don't want three hours of your cat walking on the piano clogging up the airwaves. And it's not until you get so many views that you can actually have more airtime, so to speak. And so I put, you know, up to 10-minute videos on there for a while. Then people wanted longer ones, and so then I started my online subscription thing. But that was just because they wanted them. It wasn't like I had this crazy business plan or whatever. And then I realized, looking at the analytics on YouTube, that most people don't watch more than about three or four minutes. So then I stopped making 10-minute ones and started making three or four-minute ones, just get in, make a point, get out sort of thing. And so I've been doing that for quite a long time now. I do clinics around the world as well. But my little idea, now that we're all in lockdown with this COVID-19 business is a lot of people that say are competitive with their horses, they compete with their horses, don't feel like they have time to go back and reconnect with them and do all the relationship work that I'm really into now. And I've, I've found it makes such a huge difference with their every behavior they have. And so I want to I want to do like some YouTube videos now that people, they don't have a horse show to go to, so they do have the time to, to take a step back. I want to kind of put some videos in there to kind of help people with that sort of thing. I think it's awesome, the relationship aspect, because that's been my first desire is to have a relationship with the horse. Getting on it was, was a little bit more uh, trepidous, <laughs> but... It's always the relationship building. So that I, when I found you, I was like, okay, this person speaks my language. Do you find people are open now to creating that relationship? Or is there some resistance to creating a relationship with a horse? Like, how do you find people when you're first presenting the idea of building the relationship? Well, I'm lucky enough, you know, when I do clinics... My clinics are only for subscribers to my video thing. So they, oh, everybody okay. that comes to my clinics is, is on the is on the same page anyway. And because I've been quite open about my shift from being, say, an obedience-based trainer to more relationship-based, I think everybody's aware of that. So, you know, I just had a, did a clinic in South Australia, which is a state of Australia, and we had uh, 75 spectators the first day, I think, that every single person there is on the same kind of wavelength. And it's amazing when you get – amazing what happens with horses in a situation like that to where you've got that many people who are all on the same wavelength, have no expectations, have no judgment. The things that happen at those clinics are nothing short of trippy, you know, like horses that have been chronically stressed all their life and they will lay down and go to sleep. Yeah. Things like that. And it's, it's just, it's, you know, I always tell the people there, it's, 
you know, they're all raving about how amazing it was. And I go, well, you guys are part of that that whole collective energy there. It, it, it do, those things like that don't happen when you have a lot of people around who are reading things negatively or are not open to stuff like that. So, I, I, you know, it's it's been pretty amazing. I don't get to experience the people who... I don't have to talk anybody into this, put it that way, because people, when they show up to my clinics, are very aware of where, what I'm on about. And and even if they're on the fence, they're kind of open to it, but usually by the end of the clinics, they're like, wow, that's completely different. But, yeah, so I don't have to, you know, I, I saw a, um, I was a little sign in a Western store one time, I, I think it was, and it said, the best sermons are lived, not preached. Mm. So I'm, you know, I, I don't think... If someone's not ready for this, I don't think you can shove it down their throat because they just don't they don't take it very well. So I think just you know leading by example and being you know especially like I've been on YouTube for the last year or so, I've been pretty upfront about uh, you know where I'm at in life and the way I'm looking at things. You know, I suppose you put yourself out there open to judgment, but I'm not really that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. You know, so. It's, it's not a big deal to put it out there. Well, and that's a real important point for people to realize is that once you are vulnerable, then you are open to judgment, but you're really, the chances are you're probably going to win more people over with your vulnerability than you are going to be judged. It's- yeah, like I think Brene Brown talks about this stuff a lot, you know, and she, she says you'll end up, you know, you'll hear me too more often than you'll hear someone judging them, you, you know. And I think yeah. when you when you open up like that, it, I think it opens up lines of communication to where the other people, instead of shielding everything and, and pretending it's all right or pretending to be something you're not or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it tends to help them open up too. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's a beautiful thing because I don't know another animal probably. Well, they're all animals likely, but... They see through the crap. <laughs> oh, heck yes. You, yeah, they do. you have years of practice if you've worked with horses this long on being vulnerable because they'll call you out on your stuff in a second, right? I think it's something that more people need to be exposed to is how working with any animal, be it a horse or dog, how much value they can bring to your life because you can be so vulnerable, number one, because there's no judgment. But on the other hand, they will call you out on your stuff in a second. Uh, I think especially horses. Yes. You know, dogs, not quite so much because, you know, they're very, they tend to want to be very social with us. Horses don't necessarily want to be social with us right off the bat unless you can prove to them that you are worthy of being social with, you know. Mm. You know, they're a prey animal. Dogs, you know, their eyes are in the sides of their head. Dogs have eyes in the front of their head, as we do too. So two, if you gave five-year-old twin boys, one gave one a puppy that was six weeks old and gave one a foal that was six weeks old and came back two years later, the puppy and the boy would be best friends and the, the boy, other boy can't catch the horse. You know what I mean? Interesting. They, Fair enough. Horses, you know, horses are prey animals. And so because we act a bit predatory in some of our, the way we go about things, they're immediately not terribly drawn to us. Interesting. So it does force us to be better to deal with them. Right? Uh, yeah, but I think I'm really starting to really, 
I think the great thing about horses is they kind of set up the, where if we want to get along with them, we have to change the way we go about things. It's kind of, you know, yeah. if you want to change me, some change in you is required. And I think that's because, so horses are social creatures. They live in herds. And that herd gives them a feeling of safety. But it's not like the feeling of safety like a pack of dogs, like we are all big and tough and we could fight off a defender. Because horses aren't fighters. Horses are fleers. And so the thing, the thing that makes horses feel safe in their herd is the awareness of the whole herd. Right. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. You know, if, there's a, if there's a herd of horses all grazing out here on the plain, the ones on the west side don't have to look out on the east side because there's one over there on the east side. He doesn't have to, you know, that. And so let's say some wolves or let's go back far enough, say the two tigers approach from the west. The one on the west side, he's going to notice something. His head's going to pop up and his energy's going to change and that energy's going to ripple through the whole herd. So the one on the other side doesn't have to keep an eye out for that. I think that's why they, you know, that's what keeps them feeling safe in a herd. There is no young buck stud horses who work out and do martial arts to protect the herd. Protection is not physical. Protection is mental awareness. And so what I've really got down to is the reason a lot of times we can't get along with their horses is because we're in our heads. We are not present. And the key the absolute key to having horses relaxed around us and want to be around us is the ability to be present, okay, and not be thinking five minutes ago and not thinking of some future scenario that's not happening, not thinking about what you're having for dinner, not thinking about your kids, not thinking about your job, not thinking about COVID-19, not thinking about anything except what's right in front of you. And what, what do we have a pressing need for more than anything else right now? To be present. <laughs> Talk about really the ability to do that. Reducing stress, eh? Is to be present. The gift yes. of the horse. Yes, and so and I came about all this because I wanted I wanted the horses to do better. I, I wanted the horses to do a better job for me. This wasn't about me getting better. This was about I want my horses to behave better. And for a long time I thought more obedience was the answer. And I've always been on the woo woo ish end of obedience training. You know, it's all been very, uh, very holistic type training, but it was all about training them to behave a certain way when I ask or do a certain thing when I ask. It was not about listening. It was about telling. And the some of the stuff you've got to do to get those horses to feel relaxed is to be able to communicate to them how aware you are of Everything. Everything. You know, and that's the thing that gives that, that's the thing that gives them a feeling of safety. And there's a I don't know if you've ever heard of Ray Hunt. You ever heard of Ray Hunt? No, I haven't. Ray Hunt was Ray Hunt was an old cowboy guy who was one of the grandfathers of this whole horsemanship y revolution thing. I think and you've he, mentioned that's an old Ray Hunt saying. Now that you say that yeah, I probably have. in your yeah. YouTube videos. Um, there's an old Ray Hunt saying, they know when you know and they know when yes. you don't. And I always thought that saying meant they know when you know what you're doing and they know when you don't know what you're doing. You know, they can know when you show up that you haven't been around horses much. You know, that's what I thought it always meant. But I read an article a couple of years ago by a fella who was around Ray Hunt quite a bit and he said, you know, when you're around your horse, you need to be aware of what his ears are doing and what his eyes are doing, what his nostrils are doing, what his muzzles are doing. 
what his breathing is doing, what his feet are doing. Are they standing square? Are they standing a bit braced? Is his tail clamped? Is it stuck straight up in the air? Is it relaxed? And you need to be aware of all that. You need to know all those things because they know when you know and they know when you don't. And so if you are not present, they can tell. They can basically read your mind. Uh, and if you are not present, they can tell. And it's not like they can tell like they're going to point the finger at you and go, oh, no, you're not present. You're going to know it because they're going to start acting in nervous ways because you are not part of their awareness system. Right. They're, they're so you get heard. you get anxious type behaviors out of them. Very interesting. I think if we can all gather some information from this, the underlying highlight would be be present in your life. Your stress will go down. But if you can have a horse tell you that, it's a way better transmitter. Well, the thing, the thing with it is... This is a lot of work, you know, inner work sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I know I wouldn't have done it, and I know a lot of people wouldn't do it for their spouse or for their kids or whatever. But you want to get along with your horse, so you'll make these changes because you want to get along with your horse, especially if you want to ride them safely. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so I, I think our passion for the horses is a good thing because it gives us a reason to want to look at things a bit differently, you know what I mean? Well, and then it just cycles out into your whole life, so everybody benefits oh, oh, from yeah. the changes. Yes, yeah. Every, everybody yeah. benefits, but I don't yeah. think everybody would have benefited if it hadn't been for the horse because I, a lot of times, you know, with you know with your partner, you kind of go, half of it's your fault sort of thing, but with the horse, once you realize that um, – they're only, you know, horse is never being bad. He's only ever trying to stay safe. And so every behavior they show you almost tells you their level of their level of safety, safety. how they feel about their safety. And, mm. and a lot of it has to do with where you are mentally. That's, I think that's the great thing about them is they can really read your mind and your physiology. And, you know, they use horses a lot for equine-assisted therapy and stuff like that. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think one of the great things about horses is they're very good at detecting incongruent behavior. Mm -hmm. When your inner landscape and your outer landscape don't match up. And I think that's probably an evolution adaptation to where, you know, if you ever watch National Geographic and the, the zebra are all having, a, you know, grazing and a lion walks past on the way to the watering hole and he's within sight of them. He's not very far from them and none of them lift their head because I think that lion is physically going to the watering hole and mentally going to the watering hole. If he was physically going to the watering hole and mentally thinking, I'm going to get one of these zebras ready, I think the whole energy changes. And I think yeah. they have evolved to be very aware of that incongruency between what another being is thinking and what they're doing. Right. And they read energy like and nothing. I, <laughs> they, they know energy yeah. like... I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's that's... Yeah, I think that's why they're different than dogs. Because even if you're not present, your dog will just sit there and stay. And you're like, come on, when are you going to... Hello, over here, when are you going to play with me? You know, they still want to engage you when you're like that. Horses don't necessarily want to engage you when, you, uh, when you're like that. So I think you get a lot more feedback from them than, than you do from a, uh, from a dog. And the dog always wants to play with you. Whereas in order for your horse to want to hang with you, you've got you've to be a certain... Certain way. Be a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah, the unconditional versus the well, maybe not. 
You're not worthy with that energy you're bringing over here. <laughs> bit more like a cat. Yes, yes, exactly. So shifting gears a little bit, Warwick, how do you receive your intuition? How does it come to you? <laughs> well, see, I have not had intuition for a long time. I've not been very intuitive, which is what I think makes me a somewhat decent sort of a teacher because everything I know how to do, I had to learn it step by step by step. I think I really think intuitive people, are, like let's say intuitive horse people, I think a lot of times they are not very good teachers because I don't, can't tell you what they do because I don't know what they do because they're so intuitive. It just happens out and, you know, happens out and thinking about it. For me, everything I've done, and like even when I was just an obedience trainer, you know, like teaching horse how to do things, I had to learn that bit by bit by bit. So that helped me be a good educator as far as teaching people how to do stuff and so since i've made a huge change in the last few years i almost had to not intuitively learn how to be intuitive okay so i had to learn stuff step by step so once again you know i have not always been i've always been in my head not so much in my body Mm -hmm. so i've had to learn how to be in my body which is good because then I can explain it to other people who have always been in their head and not in their body. Whereas if someone's intuitive, who's there's a lady from California named Kerry Lake. And have you heard of Kerry Lake? No, I haven't. You need to look Kerry Lake up. She's amazing. She is an she's an animal communicator who teaches people how to communicate with their animals. Lovely. And so the first thing she starts having to do is be aware of your own body. You know, be in your body and not in your head. And so I. I've, real, I've found out in the last few years that I've, I suffer from a form of depression and have uh, for as long as I can remember. Like some people, they find out they have depression because they feel different than they used to and they go see something about it, whereas I, I basically was um, very, very shut down. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything was turned off. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is mm-hmm. this whole relationship stuff with these horses now came from a horse that we bought about four years ago. Mm-hmm who was very shut down and nothing I'd ever done in the past worked with this horse. And so I had to look at other ways of uh, figuring things out. And it turned out the shut down horse actually taught me how shut down I was. I didn't even know it. So, yeah, it was all pretty interesting. Yes. It's, it's amazing how, how life happens for sure. And so I guess what I would question or wonder is the steps that you like, how you found Brené Brown, how you found what to do next with this shutdown horse. Was that you just randomly looking online for help in a certain way? And your whole situation with the serendipities with meeting your wife, I would say, yeah, there's a little bit of just do the next thing. And there it is. Like, was that? Oh, I've always, I've always been a bit of a dreamer. I've never been a planner. I'm not a good planner. I am just, you mentioned the breadcrumbs before. I've just been following the breadcrumbs all mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a breadcrumb follower. Um, if they turn off from where I think they're going, I just, you know, where I thought they were going to go, I don't go. But the breadcrumbs are supposed to go this way. I just follow the breadcrumbs. So, Perfect. But I've always been, I've always, I'm, I'm quite big into manifesting, you know, but I've, and I've always been good at it but just didn't even know I was good at it. When I first when I first came to America I bought an old I bought an old pickup that 
that make and model you could insure for ten thousand dollars. I only paid five thousand dollars for it, but I insured it for ten thousand because that's what the market value of that make and model was. And I said to three different people on one occasion each, "I wish I knew how to write this thing off without killing myself. Because if I could, I would take the money and go to America." Uh, surprise! Guess what happened? And that and that was in nineteen eighty nine. And uh, I didn't realize for years that that's what I'd done. But I, as I got better at it over the years, I realized that's exactly what I'd done, you know. So I went off the road at about 100, what would have been miles an hour, probably about 65, 70 miles an hour off the road into a stand of small trees. So it wasn't one big tree because if it was one big tree, I might not have you walked away. But, um, it was a stand of small trees that had enough cushion to it, didn't hurt me, but it wrecked the front of the truck. But yeah, over the years, I've had all sorts of crazy things like that happen. And uh, like last year, early last year, I kind of said, you know what? I get to do, you know, I've done clinics in America, Australia, New Zealand, all over the UK, all over Western Europe, Kenya, South Africa. I'm like, I want to go somewhere. I want to be asked to go somewhere different, a bit bit exotic. That's not like anywhere I've been before. And so that kind of rules out a lot of places that haven't been before. But same with last year, I that's what I want to happen. And it was just one time I put it out there and left it alone. About two months later, I got an email from the wife of the British ambassador to Morocco. Fantastic. Wanted to know, would I like to come to Morocco to, to do some work for a government organization called the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Horses? So I got to go to Morocco and meet the prince who's in charge of the whole thing and work with some horses. And we stayed in the British ambassador's residence and had a week of ambassadorial life. And just, it was just absolutely amazing. And uh, that was just put it out there, you know. Yeah, beautiful. And then doing the next thing. Doing those next things. So it drives my wife nuts because she's a planner and I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm just going with the flow sort of thing. And she likes to be a lot more structured. So it drives her nuts a little bit. But she also realizes it works. It so works. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And people can't argue when it works, so... This is fantastic. Thank you so much for today, Warwick. Uh, I think it's been fantastic. I mean, it just goes to show when you just follow the breadcrumbs, you can have a spectacular life. Very fulfilling. So thank you for sharing the horse with us and these examples of how you just do the next thing. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, It's always fun to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I think so. So maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we should. Yes. Have a great day, work. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. We truly appreciate our guests for sharing their stories and insights about how intuition has impacted their lives. And I'm so grateful for Peter Trainer for his time in giving me this original music. It's now your turn. It's your turn to listen and act on your own intuition and help make the world a better place. Until next time, keep seeing, being, knowing, and doing. If you like this podcast, please share it. If you want to find others like it, go to www.healingvitality.ca or wherever you would find your podcasts. We would love to have you join us on this journey. Come be a crow sitting in the tree. Be part of our community.